Okay, so then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And so who do you think is worthy to do that? Jesus, the Lamb. Okay, and it goes on and says... And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll with its seven seals. Okay, And so the Lamb, the one who was slain for us, for Bob Crotty, And for each of you sitting out there, that is the one who was found worthy to open the uh, seals. And so, let's let's take a look at the seals themselves. That's over in chapter 6. And the first one is pictured as, uh, let's see... Starting in verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Well, there's been all sorts of interpretations of who this person is. And uh, let me just cut to the chase. I don't think it's Christ. Okay. Now, he's pictured in Revelation 19 as coming back on a horse, but I don't think this is a picture of him. This is a picture of the Antichrist, and he is the one who is given a crown. He's made the world ruler, and uh, um, he is the one who goes out conquering. And uh, uh, the second seal is uh, the picture of a red horse, and uh, it's the taking of peace from the earth. Uh, let's see, um, the red horse and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. The third seal refers to a black horse, and he is carrying a balance scale. Um, let's see, had a pair of scales in his hand. Well, that's a picture of economic disaster and famine. And I think that's what um, that judgment will be. And then finally, the you know these are the four horses of the apocalypse, okay? And so the fourth one is described as a pale horse. And what happens with the pale horse? Death. Yeah. And what? Who's killed? How many are killed? Yeah, uh, fourth of the earth. Uh, that's in verse 7. Um, in 8, let's see. Uh, a pale horse, his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So one-fourth of the earth is going to get wiped out in that judgment. And uh, if you're a math major, you can keep track of you know what happens to the world population during this time frame. So we've got about seven billion uh, on the Earth now. Let's call it six because I can do that math better in my head. So if there were six billion people on Earth and a fourth of them were killed, that means uh, all of a sudden, bingo, uh, 1.5 billion people uh, are killed in that judgment. How that happens? You know, 
Um, God has not revealed exactly how that's going to happen, but you know, I believe that we can trust if he says that a fourth of the earth is going to be wiped out, then a fourth of the earth is going to be wiped out. The Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Jeff? Well, they may both be war. If you take a look at them, um, he was given a crown and he came out conquering into conquer. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that he conquered through uh, warfare. He may have done it through um, diplomatic negotiation. He may have done it through um, making peace treaties with folks and um, requiring them, because of the threat of warfare, to submit to his authority. But then when the second horse comes out, then we know that peace is taken from the earth. Okay, does that make sense? It does, so it could be either one. Could be either one. And if you read Daniel 9 about uh, this guy, um, and you know he's mentioned in Daniel 7 as well, that he will be deceitful, and he will be persuasive, and he will be photogenic, and he will be somebody that, uh, because he will likely come, and he will finally solve the Arab-Israeli problem that people will rise up and say, man, this guy we should follow. He is great. He has done something that no one's been able to do in history and resolve the differences between the Jews and the Arabs. Um, about the peace treaty? Okay, um, let's look over in uh, Daniel 9. Well, let's look at that. Okay, verse 27 says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many. And in the context of the book of Daniel, many has typically referred to the people of Israel. Okay? And so that is the reference uh, that this peace treaty, um, the gloss I'm adding about being able to uh, make peace between the Jews and the Arabs, that's probably Crotty's gloss more than scriptural. Okay, so thanks for asking that. Uh, but I think that that peace treaty will be uh, what is a fulfillment of Daniel 9:27, and that is the event that will initiate the last week. Uh, the abomination of desolation is the event that kicks off the Great Tribulation the last three and a half years. The peace treaty, PT I've got up here, is what uh, uh, initiates the seven-year tribulation period. Okay, So it's a peace treaty with Israel, we believe. Uh, and it's likely that uh, the Antichrist's rise to power will be by doing something that just the world didn't think possible. And uh, uh, I should better say that solving the Arab-Israeli crisis is an example of that which might be the sort of thing that he does. And since it's in conjunction with a peace treaty with Israel, you know, it fits. Uh, could the Lord do it differently? Absolutely. Um, but um, Daniel 9.27 says that there will be this covenant, this peace treaty that's made with Israel. Okay, great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, The Jews who have believed in Christ, I think, will be raptured. And so, uh, you know, there will be lots of Jews that will be left who have not yet uh, thought that the Messiah has come and who have not trusted in Christ. And they will, you know, be there to be evangelized during the tribulation period. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, let's see. 
verse 9, chapter uh, 6, verse 9, the fifth seal. And you see, that's one in which the souls of those who are martyred for Christ are crying out to be avenged. And it's followed uh, shortly thereafter by the sixth seal in which uh, there's an earthquake and the sun became black and the moon became blood red and every island and mountain is moved from its place and you have the wrath of the Lamb. And if you go read uh, uh, Matthew 24, you'll see some of those same things being referenced in Matthew 24. And so, then really between the 6th and 7th uh, seal is when you uh, um, have the uh, sealing of the witnesses, the 144,000 witnesses. Okay? And uh, you see at the end of chapter 6 uh, that people will be hiding themselves in caves and uh, calling on the mountains and rocks to fall on us, to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, and then... Chapter 7, you see the sealing of the 144,000 witnesses, okay, who are then to go and witness really to the world, certainly to the nation of Israel, to the Jews first, and then really to the entire world. And you see that grace interlude between uh, the judgments. And you see uh, then at the beginning of uh, chapter 8, Verse 1, the Lamb opened the seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who uh, stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, and so, let's see. You have, can you all see this? You have, um, you have the seal judgments, and they pour into the trumpet judgments. And then they will pour into the bowl judgments. And the seventh, um, the seventh seal will be the unleashing of the seven trumpets. You see that in uh, uh, chapter eight. So, um, the sixth seal. Uh, let's take a look at that. That's verse twelve, chapter six. It says, "When he opened the sixth seal." I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. Uh, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth uh, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished, rolled up like a scroll, that, or like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Okay, so what's that a picture of? Well, I think it could be um, what we started with, just the picture of a huge earthquake like the earth has never seen before. And that there will be things happening in the heavens that the moon will um, become like um, blood and that the um, um, sun will be eclipsed. And so, you know, there are, we've seen phenomena like that where the, um, you know, the moon becomes red, where the sun is eclipsed and whatnot. And so there will be these celestial things going on during this time frame that will accompany this great earthquake unlike any earthquake we've ever seen before. So I think that's the seventh, the sixth seal in a nutshell. Okay? Um, I think that they are probably part of the seven seals. Yeah. 
Okay, because if you look at uh, the birth pangs are mentioned in uh, Matthew 24, if you look at those and compare and contrast them, you'll see a number of the things that match up. Okay, um, how are we doing? Seven seals are now behind us, and we're starting into the trumpets. And one of the things you'll notice is that as we move through the judgments, they get increasingly worse. So these affected one-fourth of mankind. The number to remember here is a third. And then the number to remember in the bowls is everybody. Yes, sir. So the Christians are raptured before the seven seals? Yes, we are gone. Seven seals, I think, are going to begin the last three and a half years. Um, we are gone before the uh, tribulation period ever starts. Okay? So, will we be seeing these up in heaven? I don't know. Um, it may be that we have a peak of them, but it also may be that we are entirely captivated by what we're seeing in heaven. Yes, ma'am. Um, well, the 144,000 people are going to be somehow um, um, sealed in a way that uh, uh, God's going to take care of. And so if all the believers are, all, are removed from the earth, so how does someone become a believer? Well, I think there are going to be a lot of Bibles that are going to be left around being unused during that time frame. And some of them may be open to passages that people will pick up and go, Hey, what was prophesied in this book? We've just seen some of it start to come true. I'm going to read it to see what else is going to come true. Yeah. Yes, sir. I think it'll be. I think it will be people from these tribes who have um, believed in Christ and been sealed during the tribulation period. Okay. Jonathan. Oh, I just wanted to jump back. Okay, so is is that literally true? No, I think that's symbolism. And there are a bunch of different interpretations of who that may be. I can't give you a definitive answer to you know, who that is. What about the horns in the eye? Well, the horns uh, typically, um, you know, the, the Antichrist is referred to as the little horn of Daniel. And so it typically represents someone who is a ruler. A horn was a picture of rule. Okay. Is it believed that the sheep that they'll be taken up? Um, Ryan, that is a great question that uh, um, I can only answer by saying, you know, God, God knows our hearts, and that we can trust Him to do the fair thing, and that um, the children of believers who are raptured, He will do the fair thing by. So, you know, can I give you a definitive answer that, uh, you know, some baby whose mom is raptured is not going to be just left there to, to die? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't think our God does business like that. And so I think that he will do the fair thing by um, people who have not come to um, what some people call the age of accountability or uh, who have not come to the point of um, having the cognition to uh, trust in Christ. You know, um, someone that's, you know, 18 months old or, you know, eight months old, let's say, hadn't come to the point of being having a chance. And so will that person be left behind? I, I, you know, I've got no scripture to back this up, but only just knowing that God will do the fair thing. Okay. Other questions back here? How we doing? Are you with me still? All right. So we've done the sealed judgments and now things are getting ready to get worse. 
No, the witnesses are sealed between the sixth and seventh seals. The seventh seal is the uh, uh, the seventh seal is opened, and it's the seven trumpets. Okay, so remember, think of it as you know. Um, one cup pouring into another, and you have a series of cups, and so the seals pour into the trumpets, and the trumpets pour into the bowls, because the sixth or the seventh trumpet will be the seven bowls being unleashed. Okay, all right. Um, so let's talk about the trumpets. All right. So button your chin straps here, gang, because this is when it's going to get tough. Um, not that the uh, seals were any fun. Okay, so we're we're starting in chapter eight. The first trumpet is in eight seven. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. That doesn't sound like anything I want to witness or be a part of. Okay? And that's just one trumpet, huh? That's just one of them. Alright, the second trumpet, chapter 8, um, uh, chapter eight, verse 8. Uh, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And as you see, the first, uh, the seal judgments uh, dealt with a quarter. Now we're up to a third. Okay? It gets worse. The third trumpet. Great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. Is that a meteor? Uh, You know, um, not sure. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. In the name of the star is wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood or bitterness uh, is another way to say it. Wormwood is actually the name of a plant and a, a, the bitter-tasting uh, extract derived from it. And uh, um, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Anybody want to be here during the midst of that? Well, it doesn't say that people were wiped out. Okay. Um, it says a third of the earth was burned up. You know, you may be able to assume that uh, there were people, lots of people who were killed during that time frame. Okay? Um, but this looks more like an impact on the uh, um, yeah, surface area, uh, the trees, the grass, etc. Okay? What do you think this is? I mean, volcanoes? Which one are you talking about? Uh, well, uh, Hail, fire mixed with blood. Yeah. You know, could that be a nuclear explosion? I don't know. Uh, could it be something that just God does because He's God and He can do those sort of things? It could be. Uh, I can't t- sit here today and say, "Hey, well, this is going to be a nuclear holocaust." Um, but you can see how there are characteristics of those things that um, you know we can conceive of even today. Um, I think the thing to take away from this, again, is that uh, um, if God is who He says He is, then we can trust that His Word will be uh, fulfilled and His prophecy will be fulfilled. Amy? Absolutely. Um, um, You know, 
One of the things it talks about in the birth pangs that there'll be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And yes, we are seeing things like that happening right now. Okay? But I think those are just foreshadowings of the things to come that the ultimate fulfillment of those things will be in accordance with uh, what the book of Revelation says. And that the ultimate fulfillment of these things will be during this seven-year period, primarily focused on the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I, I don't know that we can put any sort of time frame other than, you know, I think that they will happen in a series, you know, a consecutive sort of time frame. It, it definitely could be. And just because it says that it happened, you know, it could take a third of the earth, you know, a couple of months to burn up. Could it happen at, uh, at one time? Absolutely. Could it happen over a period of time? Scripture's just not clear on that. doesn't speak to that. Uh, the bottom line is that it will happen, um, whether it's you know an instantaneous event or over a period of time. Thanks for um, making that point. That's a good one. Jeff? We are not in... My belief and Watermark's belief is that we are not in uh, the time of Daniel 70th 7, the 70th week. We're not in the great tribulation period. But is it surprising that some of these things would be happening um, that are like or that foreshadow the sort of things that we'll see during that time frame? No, I don't think it's surprising. I think that's something that says, hey, let's get ready because it could happen. Uh, they could be. It could be something part of the lead up. Um, I think it's nothing more than a grace warning that God has graciously given us um, that to say, hey, it is important, one, that you make a decision for yourself right now. And that, two, that you then, after you've made that decision, that you be bold to proclaim his truth to others. And, you know, um, gang, if we're going out and we are uh, saying, hey, um, you know, a third of the earth is getting ready to be destroyed. People are going to look at you like you have lost your mind. But if you're going to, if you're going out saying, "Hey, you know, I have trusted in Christ and it has changed my life," and let me tell you how it's changed my life, because formerly I was addicted to pornography, or previously I, I uh, did things with, uh, um, you know, uh, my boyfriend that uh, uh, I shouldn't do with my boyfriend, or um, I had an abortion, or you know, I've done things in my life that. I am not proud of, uh, and I have changed my ways because my heart's changed. And I think that ultimately, you know, that's what uh, God has given us a grace warning to be able to uh, um, share with others how He's changed us. And, uh, you know, uh, to be prepared to answer these questions, to be prepared to see what's happening in society, to know that, hey, a time of judgment's coming and I need to tell people. But don't be leading with the book of Revelation as your key witnessing tool. I mean, it, uh, people are going to look at you like you lost your mind. Okay? But if people ask these questions, should you be prepared to answer them? Absolutely. 
you know, we need to be prepared. We, above all people, need to be able to understand the timeline of history and to know and have confidence that, hey, the God we believe in is going to prevail. He's sovereign, and he has won the battle. Um, you know, we are going to be um, in eternity with him forever. And so that should motivate us to go out and tell others. Yes, ma'am. But one of the things I take from that, um, Libya is a great example. Um, you know, there's no real mention of the U.S. in prophecy. And so, you know, the U.S. has been the dominant nation in the world for a while. Um, but w- does that, is that any guarantee that we will always be the dominant country? Absolutely not. Can we see how we are already starting to lose our dominance? Can we see how our, our economy could just blow up in a second? Could we see how terrorists could um, take down the power grid in the United States and we're back in the Stone Age and are of no consequence to anybody? Um, Man, I can see how those things could happen. Um, So, you know, you just look around and you say, hey, I could see how the Lord could, his return could be near. Um, because of the things that we just see happening. Now, is that any guarantee? You know, if the United States turned around and uh, had a huge revival uh, that brought the hearts of the people of the United States back to God, that may delay um, the um, prophecy of Revelation for a thousand years, for another thousand years, because we turned back to God. And man, that's my prayer. As as much as I want the Lord to come quickly, I also want uh, Him to delay so that more people will have the opportunity to trust in Him, to trust in His Son. All right, we got to keep going. Sorry, I just well, you see it throughout the New Testament. You see it in the uh, um, tribe of Judah in the uh, Southern Kingdom. How um, when these good kings came along and the people repented and turned back to God, uh, he kept uh, the Assyrians from uh, conquering the southern kingdom, uh, even though they had just wiped out the northern kingdom. They wiped out the ten tribes, but they weren't able to wipe out two tribes. Now go explain that, other than, hey, that was the hand of God at work because the people turned their hearts back to him. That's probably as good an example I can give you off the top of my head. All right, let's keep going. Um, It gets worse. Uh, The fourth trumpet. Uh, So we're staying with the third. A third of the sun and moon and stars are darkened, and there's no light for a third of the day and the night. Yikes. Uh, That would be a little scary. And then... uh, uh, Moving over to chapter 9, the fifth trumpet, you see uh, uh, this is in 9-1. Star fallen to the earth with the key to the abyss, and locusts with power like scorpions to torture for five months those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. People will long to die, but death will flee from them. Uh, and this is described as the uh, end of the first woe. Yikes. That doesn't sound good. In the sixth trumpet in uh, verse 13, you have four angels set free to kill a third of humanity. Here's the, the third number coming in. So if um, um, you've got um, um, six billion people, um, a quarter of them get wiped out in the seals, um, that leaves you four and a half um, 
uh, billion, and then a third of them. So another 1.5 billion uh, gets wiped out right here. So um, help me with my math. That leaves us uh, uh, about three billion people left. Half the earth, half the earth's population has been wiped out at that point. Okay. And so then we have, again, the grace intermission. We had the two witnesses sent. You know, people say, hey, could that be Moses and Elijah come back? Could be. Um, You know, scholars speculate about who that might be. But they will certainly be people who had uh, the uh, communication skills and the leadership skills like Moses and uh, Elijah. Okay? Okay. And so they will, uh, you can read about them in chapter 11. And uh, those guys are pretty cool dudes. Um, Let's see, they're given to prophesy for 1260 days, it says in um, 11.3. And uh, let's see. In verse 5, if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouths and consumes their foes. If anyone uh, would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And you see that they are a thorn in the side of the Antichrist. And it says, uh, uh, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them. That's the Antichrist, I believe. And will conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. That's Jerusalem. That symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt. Uh, That's uh, Jerusalem that has turned away from the Lord. uh, Where their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some from, um, let's see, some from the people and tribes and language and nations will gain at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb and those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the two prophets uh, had been a torment to those who dwell on earth but then hold on to your hats Um, but after three and a half days a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them uh, you imagine with the internet today, do you think that's going to be uh, live streamed? I think that everybody on earth will see uh, that sort of event happening. And uh, you see, you can keep reading in 11 about what happens with those guys. And that will be something that will be t- to behold. And the whole purpose of these witnesses is to proclaim that, hey, judgment is coming and that you need to get on the right side of history by trusting in Christ. Okay? They are really one of the final grace warnings that people will get. You see there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail down in uh, verse 19. And then uh, we come over to... um, uh, there's uh, a couple of chapters that we'll come back to. And we uh, see that in chapter 15, that seven angels with seven plagues, or they're also uh, um, really the bold judgments uh, are given. And then they start into action in chapter 16, verse 1. Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. 
And so the first angel goes out and uh, he pours out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores come upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. You know, one of the great things, one of the grace things about these judgments, um, specifically, this makes known that it's only going to impact those who take the mark of the beast. So I think that those who have trusted in Christ and who are still living during this time frame are going to be somehow protected against that judgment. And I think the other judgments that God is going to protect his faithful ones throughout it. Now, may some of them uh, perish in the midst of it? Well, that's entirely possible. Uh, But I think that God is going to continue to protect his believers, and this specifies that this judgment uh, is not going to impact any but those who have taken the mark of the beast. Okay? Um, which th- these guys in, uh, I think it's 11.2, Revelation 11.2, it talks about olive trees and candlesticks. So John uh, said Zacharias uh, 4, there's a reference to that. Okay, so thanks, John, for doing that. Um, okay, let's turn to the second bowl. Uh, that's verse 3 of chapter 16. Um poured his bowl out into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and this time it's not a third or it's not a quarter but every living thing uh, in the sea died I mean can you even imagine that I mean think of the stench I, I just I mean it it boggles the mind and you know the amazing thing during this time is that people are still going to refuse to repent. Because they're going to blame God for all the destruction, right? Absolutely. Third bowl. Um, that's in verse four. The rivers and springs turned into blood. Then the fourth bowl, uh, verse eight. The sun scorched the people with fire and terrible heat. And what happened? This is what we've just been talking about. Even though they were um, just, you know, in, uh, enduring something uh, that just has never happened on earth before, what do they do? Instead of repenting, they curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. And are we surprised by this? Well, on one hand, we are. But on the other hand, think of Pharaoh. Think of all the opportunities that Pharaoh, during the Exodus, had to repent during these ten plagues that he um, uh, saw come upon his nation. And each time his heart was hardened, or he hardened his heart, and he refused to repent, he refused to let uh, the people of Israel go. And that same sort of attitude will hold sway on the earth during this time frame. Okay, um, the fifth bowl, darkness, uh, chapter uh, 16, verse 10. Darkness covered the beast kingdom. People began to bite their tongues because of their pain, and they continued to blaspheme God because of their sufferings and sores, and they still refused to repent. And so uh, the sixth bowl, uh, we see the Euphrates River dried up and uh, um, demons released and the false prophet uh, is gathering the kings of the earth for the battle of Armageddon. And then with the seventh bowl, let's read that. uh, That's verse 17. 
The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, What? It is done. Well, we've heard that same uh, cry at some point. When did we hear that cry? On the cross. The, you know, Christ's statement on the cross, it is finished. Well, there, what was finished was the accomplishment of salvation for man. Here, what's finished is God's wrath has been poured out in full on the earth. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. Such So, think about that. You know, Japan times infinity is what we're going to have. Okay, so there have been earthquakes all along that have been happening, even as a part of the other judgments um, we've seen earthquakes. But this earthquake will be such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Uh, So great it was that it split the great city into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And then we get some serious uh, hailstones uh, coming down. And so the seventh bowl is one that uh, um, people um, should say, hey, it is time to turn back to God. But they will refuse to do that. Absolutely. And I'll uh, explain why I think that in a second. Um, let me jump ahead um, and um, we'll actually be going back to uh, Revelation 12 and 13 and kind of filling in the gaps we skipped over as we did these judgments. I wanted to do the judgments all at once so you could see, one, how they uh, continue to increase in severity. Okay, So let's drop back. And in chapters 12 and 13, you have the uh, seven great persons of this uh, end times drama. Uh, pregnant woman... Um, likely is a uh, reference to the nation of Israel. Uh, the red dragon, I think, is Satan. The male child who ro- rules over all the nations, I think, is a reference to Christ in verse 5. Um, the archangel, uh, Michael, uh, in verse 7. The remnant um, of faithful folks who have believed in Christ, you see are referred to in verse 17. And then in chapters 13, you see both the beast and his false prophet uh, are described. Okay? Uh, Amy, you looked at me with a question uh, about uh, uh, the male child who rules over all the nations. And was the question about why I believe that's Christ? Let's read that. Yes, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to, is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's why I think it's Christ. Okay? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had, uh, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, so math majors in here, 1,260 days divided by 30 days that was the typical Jewish month equals 42. 42 months. And 42 months equals three and a half years. 
So I think that's a reference to Israel flees when Israel sees the abomination of desolations being erected in the Holy of Holies in the temple in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And for that three and a half year period, she's out of there. You know, the the remnant will flee to the wilderness to some place that God has prepared for them to protect them. No, no. Um, Jesus is not going to be reborn. These are um, people that are just players in the end-time drama. Okay, So he is definitely a player, and this is just a depiction of him that, uh, you know, he was a male child, he is one who is to rule over all the nations, uh, and that um, he was caught up to God when he was resurrected and uh, uh, ascended after... um, his time uh, on earth was completed, and uh, he rules at the right hand of God even right now. He was born into the nation of Israel, and that's how it refers to it as being the, the mother of Christ. Okay? that makes sense? It's a little confusing because, hey, the... Uh, um, you know, it's just a way to picture that, hey, God is not done with the nation of Israel. And he sent, um, let me say this a different way, Um, he created the nation of Israel to be his people. Okay? And he sent his son to his people to lead them to salvation. And so that's one of the reasons I say he's not done with the nation of Israel. God has uh, an end-time plan to give them a chance. This is referred to in Romans 9 through 11, uh, to give them a chance finally to uh, come to belief in Christ. Yeah, I think that's a reference to the 12 tribes. I think that's... that, well, um, they are uh, they are witnessing during the same time frame, and so 1260 I think uh, should just you know send bells off in our heads and say, hey, anytime I see last three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, all those things I think are going to be a reference to the great tribulation during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. I think that they will they will be part of that. Now there'll be more than those 144,000 who will be protected during that time frame, okay? And because there are going to be people who are going to be martyred for their belief in Christ, you know, uh, as you read through Revelation, you'll see that people are going to be beheaded uh, because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. They are going to be beheaded because they are proclaiming Christ instead of uh, taking the mark of the beast through the ministry of the 144,000 and others who have come to Christ during that time frame. Yeah. I hope my Bible is open to the book of Revelation uh, when I'm raptured. You know? Um, I think there are going to be lots of Bibles that are left open. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, we need to put on our to-do list, open Bible before... You know, when that first note of the trumpet goes off, flip that sucker open and leave it. Because there are going to be, there are going to be friends and family members and neighbors and people we care about who are going to be left. 
And so, you know, I don't know if y'all just got goosebumps going on then. I got goosebumps because, man, there are people in my neighborhood, there are people in my family that have not believed in Christ. And so I need to be motivated to be bold, to be thought a fool uh, for sharing the good news about Christ. You know, uh, Wagner, when he's talking with folks, oftentimes will say, you know, man, I love you too much not to tell you uh, what's coming. And that's the way we need to be to say to people, hey, I love you too much not to tell you. You may think I'm a fool, but that's okay. But I, I want you to hear the truth. Okay? All right. Gang, we're about out of time, and I have totally reneged on my 30 minutes of questions, but we've gotten a lot of questions asked here. All right, so you can look at uh, Revelation uh, uh, 14. I'm not going to take time to go through this, but if you look at it, I think it really kind of gives you an outline of the end times drama, and I've uh, given you the the different points that uh, I see in there. Okay, so let's go through the final events. Okay, so chapters 17 and 18 refer to the fall of Babylon. And I think Babylon is a picture, just like there'll be one world ruler, there'll be one world religion during that time. And it'll be a religion of worshiping the beast. And it'll be centered in likely the, the uh, rebuilt city of Babylon, which will be the beast's headquarters. And we see in 17 and 18 the fall of Babylon. And then the wedding feast of the Lamb, we're not exactly sure when the wedding feast of the Lamb occurs during the uh, uh, time frame uh, of the tribulation. I think this is something that will be going on in heaven, but it's mentioned in Revelation 19, 7 through 10, right before the return uh, of Christ and his armies. And so, you know, when I put it in the chronology, I'm going to put it in right at that point. And that will be a great feast in heaven for uh, Christ and his bride. And we will celebrate uh, being in heaven with Christ during that time frame. And it will be a feast unlike any feast we've ever had. Um, second coming uh, comes after that. You can read about that in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And it culminates in the battle of Armageddon, the, the final battle. And that's when we'll come back, the Lord will lead us, and He will do all the fighting. And it won't be much of a battle. Um, here I am up on a uh, uh, hillside in Nazareth, looking out over the, battle, uh, or over the valley of Megiddo, where Armageddon is supposed to be fought. And this... This picture doesn't do it justice, but it stretches on forever and ever, it looks like. And you can see, uh, as big as it is, how the armies of the world could um, line up in that battle to do battle. And they'll be fighting against each other, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, they'll see that the Lord is coming back, and they'll turn and um, unite to fight against Christ. Okay? The final battle, the Battle of Armageddon. Well, there'll still be plenty. Okay. Um, will they? Yeah, I'm sure they'll still have, you know, tanks and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, they use picture of horses and things like that, but I think that's what they knew then. And I think that, you know, the beast is going to be fighting with all the modern weapons available to him. But they will not be sufficient to overcome the one who rides the white horse. 
Okay, so uh, that battle will uh, kick off the millennium. And uh, um, at the end of the millennium, Satan will be released again. He's locked up um, during the uh, time of the millennium, so he's not able to deceive those on earth. Let's read about that. It looks like you have a a question there. Um, Let's turn over to Revelation 19 and 20. Okay, starting at 20. Okay, and I saw an angel, da-da-da, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So at the end of the millennium, Satan is going to be released and he's going to go out to deceive those uh, children of children of children of those who were believers in Christ to start the millennium. And uh, um, there will be the start of a, rebel, uh, uh, a rebellion and Christ will uh, put an end to that. And that's when we will move off uh, to the great uh, white throne judgment. So look, let's look at uh, 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. I'm in verses uh, 7 and 8 now of chapter 20 of Revelation. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. That just means, you know, that means all the nations of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who was had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and suffer where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay? Then we come to the next point, uh, which is the great white throne judgment. And so we can keep reading right there. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the him is Christ. And from his presence the, uh, the earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Okay? I don't think that sin is going to be an issue um, at that judgment. I think sin has been paid for at the cross. And I think that is going to be a judgment based on, okay, so you reject the righteousness of Christ. So let's stack up on this big balance scale. Okay, so we've got the righteousness of Christ over here. Well, that scale goes down to the bottom. And so let's stack up your works against the righteousness of Christ and see how you stack up. What did you do for the good of the world? What were the good deeds that you did? And how does that stack up against the righteousness of Christ and His work on the cross? And those scales will never balance. But I don't think it will be for sin. Could I be wrong about that? I could be dead wrong about that. Okay? Maybe God... But I just think the law of double jeopardy kicks in and Christ paid the penalty of sin for the entire world once and for all. And sin's not the issue anymore. The issue is the person of Christ and what do you say about Him. And either you're going to have to stand on your own righteousness or you're going to stand on His righteousness. And I know my heart... And my heart will not, we won't even see those scales move if I piled up my righteousness on that scale. Okay? 
This is a judgment for unbelievers. This is a judgment that we as believers in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, you will not be a uh, person judged at the great white throne. Okay? So it is nothing to fear, uh, but really it's something to celebrate because God's justice and His righteousness will be vindicated at that point in time. And then uh, chapters 21 and 22, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, um, you know, gold, just a paving material up in heaven. Okay? And um, that's when eternity will be kicked off. All right, this is a lot. Um, But we've made it through. And my last official act, I want to go back. And I want y'all to help us figure out what's the proper order of all this. And we'll see that uh, Adam did pretty good. All right. What's the first thing to happen? The rapture. All right. Everybody still see this? If I move this back a little bit so I don't go perching, falling off of this thing. You know, I always worry about Wagner. Y'all, any of y'all worry about Wagner? Uh, one of these days, you know, he's not as young as he used to be. Uh, although him jumping off that, um, off the uh, the wrong side of the chasm was pretty impressive. Uh, my knees wouldn't have taken that. Okay, so rapture number one. What's number two? Peace treaty. Exactly. There we go. What's number three? The seven-year period. I have my cheat sheet up here with me. Where is it? Okay. Uh, I think that's exactly right. Okay. Do I have the... I don't even have the great trib up here because... Right, uh, ah, there we go. All right. There we go. Good. Um, great tribulation. All right. What else? What's next y'all have? Fall of Babylon, I agree. What's that, six? What happens after the fall of Babylon? Wedding feast uh, would be a good one. Yeah, that's what I would put next. We really, you know, we're not sure during that seven-year period exactly uh, when the wedding feast happens, but it happens uh, in the book of Revelation right next to uh, the second coming. So that's where I'd put it, too. Uh, What are we up to? Six? Seven. Okay, uh, wedding feast uh, six. No, that that's not part of it. Seven. Seven. Yeah, there we go. Seven. All right. What's next? Yeah, you know whether the second coming then Armageddon. That's probably I'd put second coming next, and then Armageddon would be nine. Okay, so then what? Yep. And fights the battle. So, the you know, he has to come back. And uh, I think that um, if you look at uh, uh, all of Scripture that relates to the final battle, it's really probably not just one battle, but it's actually a campaign that culminates in a final battle. Okay? So it's probably more likely the Armageddon campaign that takes a while while the armies of the world gather and whatnot, uh, and that their battles fought back and forth in that time frame. But ultimately it culminates after Christ comes back and he um, fights the, the final battle of Armageddon. Okay? 
What's after the millennium? Yeah, Satan's defeat I would put next. Okay, but that happens right at the end of the millennium. Okay? That's Satan's final defeat comes right at the end of the millennium. Okay, so we've got all those. We've still got uh, uh, Great White Throne, Eternity, New Heaven and Earth. Let's put those in order. Okay, Great White Throne is 12, 13, 14. Two sevens. There you go. Um, so, gang, uh, you have, uh, I think I have slides of that. Yeah. Uh, I've got the order of events on your handout. And I've also got references there that you can uh, check these things out. Okay, so here's my final slide. Revelation 22.20 He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. And John writes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's our prayer today. But our uh, other prayer is that, Lord Terry, that others might have a chance to hear uh, from you. Um, Let me do one more thing that's really not on your handouts. I've left out one very important thing here. And that's a time that's called the uh, judgment seat of Christ. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And it's something that will happen for the believers in Christ after they have been raptured. And it, uh, it's called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema. Uh, but it refers to an evaluation of what we've done. You know, Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9 talks about uh, um, that uh, we've been saved uh, by grace and that not of ourselves is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And that we, and then verse 10 goes on to talk about uh, that we have been prepared for good works, that, that um, God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And it is those works, it is our works as believers that I think will be evaluated, not judged in the sense of, hey, if you didn't do enough, you're out of here, we're pitching you back to the earth, or we're sending you to hell, but it will be evaluated and that crowns, rewards will be uh, given on the basis of our works. Okay? Um, I think that's ultimately what will happen is that uh, we aren't going to hang on to those crowns, but we are going to um, finally have something to give back to God. And that will be the gifts that he's given us, that we will be able to lay those crowns at his throne and and to celebrate what he has done for us by giving back to him uh, what he's used to reward us. Okay, so this evaluation is something that is taught in Scripture. It is not taught much from the pulpits of the churches of America, but it is something that clearly is in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, about 10 and 11, uh, through following verses, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it's something that is taught that we will be evaluated on the basis of our works. And so that is not something to scare us, um, you know, hey, maybe you're sitting here and you said, hey, when he said, I've got to stand up and tell people my name and why I came in here, that was a little scary. Well, y'all were great. And the same thing is true of that evaluation, the judgment seat of Christ. Um, 
you read about it, and it's the sort of thing that it says that the believer will suffer loss, and there may be uh, the sense of, you know, man, I wish I had used those opportunities uh, to uh, obey the things that you told me, but we will not be, our salvation will not be lost, and our uh, opportunity to be with Christ forever will not be lost. Okay? So that is the one piece that I left out of this thing, and really the one piece I wanted to close with to encourage y'all to uh, live your lives in such a way that you might be found worthy, not for salvation. That is true. That is solely by uh, trusting in Christ, but that you might be found worthy to earn rewards so that you can uh, um, give them back to uh, uh, Christ uh, up in heaven so that you have the opportunity to serve him uh, and to serve his people by making uh, his name more famous here on earth. Any questions about that? Do you think, uh, Stuart, well... It's hard to say, Ryan. Um, you know, um, I think that's a place where we trust God to do the fair thing. Hey, um, let me close with just a, a, a word of thanks, and I want to uh, pray over you. Um, and I, I'm grateful for you to invest this time uh, to want to know more about the book of Revelation. And I hope it's motivated you to uh, want to get out and tell others about the good news about Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for uh, the privilege of uh, being on your side and for being called your children. And uh, Lord, knowing that um, uh, it is the King of Heaven uh, whom we love and serve. And so, Father, forgive us for all the ways that we fall short of um, uh, being obedient to the things that you tell us. And Lord, put hearts within us that will allow us to be uh, found worthy to hear that good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant um, when um, we appear before your son's uh, evaluation. And so, Father, uh, just pray that you would take the um, uh, things that we've talked about in here and allow them to be a motivation to uh, uh, dig further into your word that we might hide our heart, uh, hide your truth in our hearts that we might sin against you. So thanks for these folks, Father, and I pray that uh, uh, you would continue to bless them by drawing them to uh, follow a heart after your son. In your son's name we pray. Amen.